0: Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, Johnson at gpmnow.com. That's Johnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports.
1: Crank it! Crank it! Cross! Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all
2: of you to stop what you're doing and listen.
3: You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320
0: KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Officially in August, baby. I mean, you can just, you can feel the football in the air. We're right around the corner. I mean, we have we have the Hall of Fame game coming up this week. We have KU football coming up. But this is when camp starts up, starts up tomorrow. I mean, this, this is when it starts to feel real. It's football season. Nothing better than that. We're going to continue on with our KU football positional previews. We're also going to be joined by David Lesky of Inside the Crown coming up in about 35 minutes from right now to talk Royals. The MLB trade deadline is coming up tomorrow. We've got another edition of Case of the Mondays. And uh, we're also going to talk some Chiefs. And, of course, we have more RCST trivia coming at you today. Two more matchups, including one top five matchup, coming up for you In the 4 o'clock hour. The position that we're previewing on today's show. Is the cornerbacks. The. Corners. I think. I think because the KU defense was so bad against the run. And. Some of the issues they really had at the linebacker position. It almost took away from some of the struggles. That the corners did have last season. But also we knew coming into it. That the corners. You had a lot of youth. In that room. And the idea was you're going to ha- kind of have to just go through, th- through some growing pains this year. And you hope that the result of that is that you had that growth coming up into this year. Uh, but as far as guys that you lost, you lose Jeremy Webb. He was a guy you brought in from Missouri State, was a grad transfer, gave you some experience, gave you really good height. He was like 6'4", the corner position. He played in 11 games. He started three of them he had a 60 grade on pro football focus. He was 62 in coverage. Obviously, that's the most pertinent grade for these corners, which was third among Kansas corners with 100 or more snaps. He was 27th among 37 eligible Big 12 corners. He was 24th among those 37 in coverage. So, you know, you you got solid, not spectacular, but experienced play out of Jeremy Webb. Wasn't a full-time starter, but you know, fit a certain role for you, and now you lose him. Deuce Mayberry, you also lose, and like I, so I don't want you know to come across in in a negative way or anything, but sometimes it can be the best for all parties around to find a new location. Might be the way of putting this. Mayberry struggled last year, uh, to put it lightly. Now he's a former three star crew. He played 21 games in two years. He started four last year, so. You know, he has experience in everything. He had just a 36 grade on pro football focus. He had just a 34 grade in coverage. Both of those numbers, the 36 overall grade and the 34 coverage grade were last among qualified big 12 corners. And in fact, his coverage grade on Kansas specifically was last among anyone who even recorded one coverage snap. So very much struggled last season to put it lightly. Then you also lost Devonte Wilson, came in as a three star, never played, but uh, transferred out. He went to Florida A and that was kind of a I don't know kind of a theme with a lot of guys that transferred away from KU. They wound up at schools that weren't like, you know, it's not like they transferred up or something. It was guys who weren't really on the too deep, weren't really set to play, transferred down to, I guess a make you feel like, yeah, the the previous staff probably didn't do a great job evaluating those guys. But also, that it's, I don't know, it makes it feel like you didn't lose, like, you know, this huge chunk of your team, so to speak. Now, what's your return? Like I said, you were playing a lot of youngsters last year. Jacoby Bryant was just a freshman. And this kid who, I want to say he like gray shirted or blue shirted or something, his first year he was supposed to come on. I could be wrong with that. But nonetheless, you, you heard a lot of really good things about Jacoby Bryant. Um, kind of in the off season, and then he had so much talent that he was probably the most talented corner in that room for KU. But obviously, he's a freshman, you're going to go through those growing pains. He played 11 games, started seven, 21 tackles, three pass breakups, two interceptions, including a pick six, which uh, was in the uh, Texas game. Um He had a 65 pro football focus grade, though, which, you know, that's that's pretty good, especially considering for a freshman. Like a lot of these grades we've been going through with these other players at every other position, you know, you hear the high 50s, maybe the low 60s. Like if you can get into the mid 60s, you're going to be kind of around middle of the pack at your position in the conference. If you get to the 70s or above, you're going to be kind of in that, you know, like the good range. If you get to 80 or above, you're kind of elite. Like so 65, that's a solid number, especially for a young freshman. He was 71 in run defense. His tackling struggled a bit. He graded just a 50 there. But coverage was was you know was fine as well. 64 in coverage, which was actually the best grade for all KU corners who played 100 or more snaps. So he ranked 21st of 37 eligible corners in the Big 12, 22nd in coverage. But again, if we add the qualifier that he was just a freshman thrown into this big role among underclassmen, so not just freshmen, among players who were underclassmen, freshmen, or sophomore last season, he was fourth for pro football focus rating. So you're talking about a young, talented corner that I think the sky is the limit for. And I don't think it's crazy to say, like, as bad as KU has been, they've produced, you know, defensive backs into the NFL. And I'm not just talking about Aqib Talib and Chris Harris. I mean, or, and Daryl Stuckey, like. I don't know. Think back to like Bradley McDougal's or Jacory Shepard. Like, you know, they've been able to still produce guys in that secondary to the league. And honestly, given the talent this guy has and and how well he did play, I don't think it's that crazy that at some point you see Jacoby Bryant off to the NFL. But that's uh, a conversation for another day. If he just improves on what he did this past year. You're talking about like maybe a borderline, all big twelve type of candidate at a corner. Like he's actually very good. Uh so Romelo Dotson, another guy returning and and Dotson struggled a little bit more. Six one, hundred eighty-six pound redshirt sophomore. He played twelve games last year, eight games started, had twenty four tackles, two pass breakups, an interception, and a forced fumble. His pro football focus grade was a fifty-six. He was He had a lot of problems in the run. He was a a 50-run grade defender, 31 in tackling. Obviously, the thing you're most, uh, as I said earlier, wanting from your corners is the coverage grade, where he was a 56, which for a guy who started eight games and played in all 12, you don't want that guy to be fifth among your corners who played 100 or more snaps in coverage grade. But that's what he was. Uh, he was 31st of 37 in the Big 12, and he was 28th in the Big 12 in coverage. So struggled a bit, but a more experienced guy. And again, like a youngster, you're talking about him playing last year as a redshirt freshman. So, of course, he's going to get better this year. Then Cameron Dabney is a five ten, 190-pound sophomore. Again, playing last year as a freshman. He uh, played in 11 games last season, started one, had nine tackles, two pass breakups, didn't play as many snaps as those other guys, but he he was pretty good in the limited snaps. He had 61 grade on pro football focus. He was a 65 grade tackler, 63 in coverage, which the 63 coverage grade was second among KU corners, only behind Jacoby Bryant for corners that had a hundred or more snaps. Um, So Dabney, another guy that you're talking about, all these guys are so young. Of course they're going to improve. And yes, was it, good enough last year to be a great defense? No, but considering how young they were, how much they struggled against the run to where it's going to bring those numbers in the box up and make it so that you maybe have less help on the outside, like all things considered, not bad from what you got from those guys. Uh, Quentin Lassiter, uh, the brother of Kwame Lassiter, is a redshirt junior. He played in two games last year. He actually graded really well. I kept having to make these mentions of you know, corners who played a hundred or more snaps. He didn't play that many snaps. He only had 13 snaps, seven in coverage, but what he did, he had a 68 PFF grade and like 67 in coverage. So he would have graded out the best, but very limited snaps and kind of in uh, a lot of times like garbage time and everything. And then you have Jaden Robinson, a six foot, 185 pound redshirt freshman redshirted last season. And we'll see what they get from him this year. Uh, newcomers, you bring in transfers, in Kalen Gervin, Monte McGarry, and then I I guess like Jarrett Paul, I, I'm going to more preview him in the safety preview because I think that's the idea there. But, you know, he he could play some corner. Maybe you see him in it like Nickelback. I don't know. Kalen Gervin though, is a five foot eleven hundred pounds redshirt junior. Uh, 24-7 sports gave him an 86 transfer grade, which is, you know, it's fine. It's kind of in the middle of the pack for the KU transfers. He played in just four games last year, and... If, if if you kind of watched like Michigan State at all or um, studied up on on what the Spartans were last year, obviously they were a really good team that ended up going to the I want to say Peach Bowl and, and beat Pittsburgh in the Peach Bowl and everything. And the one big bugaboo that Michigan State had last year, as great of a team, was they were like really bad in pass coverage and in pass defense. Like they were one of the worst teams in the country in pass defense. So. Yes, you bring a guy over from Michigan State, but how much does that mean? He only played four games last year, though. So it's not like he was a main reason that he was getting picked on and teams were like, well, this is why you're bad. No, like that's not the case. So um, he had a 62 grade in 133 snaps, 69 in run defense, 67 as a tackler, 59 in coverage. If you just figure like he's filling into the Jeremy Webb role, like those things are, are pretty similar, except Girvin... Did it last year. He's another year ahead. Like, you got an upgrade, in my opinion, from Jeremy Webb to Kalen Gervin. Uh, he's played 23 games in his Michigan State career. If you go look at his coverage grades from freshman season to last year, 62, 54, 56, 59. He's kind of in between that area where he hasn't been like a lockdown corner, but it could just be like fine depth or veteran experience there. Then Monte McGarry. I mean, talk about veteran experience. This is going to be his seventh season of college football. He's kind of got the Jalen coleman Lands thing going on, except I think Jalen coleman Lands at Kansas was on his fourth school. Uh, For McGarry, this is his fifth school. He played safety at Utah State last year, where he played in all 14 of their games. He started three of them. He had a 61 grade on Pro Football Focus. He uh, had a 64 grade in coverage, though, so he was good there. He also, um, in coverage when he was at South Dakota State in 2017, he had a 72 coverage grade. So by all accounts, uh, again, was a safety last year and could be transitioning to corner play, or he could be a safety. But like the best parts of his game have been in coverage, so it makes sense if he can fill into that corner role. And then, like I said, maybe you see some Jarrett Paul. As far as the, the other newcomers, you did bring in one freshman, Brian Dilworth, who is KU's highest-rated freshman on 24-7 sports. He is a top 700 recruit overall, three-star player. He uh, is the number 62 corner in the class of 2022. So you infuse some more young talent. You bring in some transfers. You had a lot of youth in this group last year. There are reasons to believe this group is on the up, even though it did struggle overall last season. If you're asking me to to pick the depth chart or or project what it's going to be, Jacoby Bryant, to me, is the one guy that I feel very confident in, like that he would be one of those starters. Outside of that, like, I, I don't know. I could see Cameron Dabney um, taking that step forward when he was, you know, pretty solid in, in limited play last year. You could see one of these guys kind of stepping up that's returning and being that other starter. You could see Kalen Girvin come in right away and be that starter as a veteran, especially early in the season, even though he is in a new system and everything. And then I, I kind of feel like McGarry is depth or maybe maybe it makes sense to play McGarry as like a nickelback, right? A, a former safety where he has kind of that, like if you're a nickel, you're kind of like that safety corner hybrid type in the slot. Like maybe that makes room for him or, or makes sense for him. Maybe McGarry even ends up starting. I don't know. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I feel like Romello Dotson, he clearly had the edge last year, even though the grades didn't like him as much. So maybe we should expect him being a starter. Regardless, because of the fact that you're going to have formations where you're going to have you know, five or six defensive backs on the field, a lot of these guys are going to play. They're going to rotate in. That, the way I view it, like Kalen Gurvin, Jacoby Bryant, Cameron Dabney, Romelo Dotson, and Monte McGarry, like all of them are going to play. To what regard and to what extent, that kind of remains to be seen. But Bryant is the one that I feel probably most confident in as part of that group for key questions that I have here, like how much did this unit improve? As I said, you had a lot of young players. And so I've kind of had questions about some of these other positions. I think the one that really comes to mind is like the defensive line where you have like the interior defensive line where you have like four or five super seniors on the roster. So you have a lot of guys coming back. You have a lot of experience in that position, but how much improvement can we expect from a fourth year senior to a fifth year senior from a fifth year senior to a sixth year senior a lot of times like we do see improvement all the time you can point to examples right but I think the the overwhelming majority there is that you're going to improve more from freshman to sophomore than you would fourth year to fifth year just because your body maybe hasn't grown as much or you've been in the the weights program or conditioning program for less time so it almost makes me wonder if there's less improvement to be had, even when you bring back players like that on the interior defensive line. I think you can probably say the opposite for the corner position. The fact that you did have, again, you're talking about three freshman corners who were playing, one in a redshirt freshman last year between Dabney, Dotson, and Bryant, right? And so, of course, there would be an expectation that that unit would have a huge amount of improvement. You did add transfers to improve it as well. But it is, at the same point in time, it's different than, say, the linebacker position, where the linebacker position struggled so much, but they completely overhauled it with the transfer portal. They didn't really completely overhaul it with the transfer portal here. Yes, like I said, like Kalon Girvin or Monte McGarry, they could start. Both are probably going to be playing to some extent, but you could also convince me neither one is going to start or that uh, neither one's going to be your best corner, that the role isn't going to be that gigantic that them being brought in represents some huge overhaul or some huge change for the cornerback position. So a lot of the improvement of how much better this unit is this year to last year is more just going to be on the freshman to sophomore leaps that that group of, of trio of, of young corners represents coming into this year. And I think that there's a lot of potential that, that they could make a, a very real jump. So there's no reason not to believe that this part of the secondary shouldn't be better. It's just a question of how much better, because you didn't do it by going out and just adding some, you know, all-conference corner or something like that. The bottom line here is that once again, this position overall was not good enough last year. Right, uh, Kansas allowed a seventy percent completion rate by opponents last season. So, uh, seven out of every ten pass was caught. As you would imagine, that was last among defenses in the Big 12. They also allowed 9.5 yards per pass attempt. That was last in the Big 12. That was also 124th in the country. They also surrendered a 177 opponent quarterback rating. That was last in the Big 12. That was second to last in the entire country. None of those stats are good. None of those stats are also exclusive to the corners, right? Safeties matter here. Linebackers are in coverage. If you're not getting good pass rush, it doesn't matter how good your coverage is. Eventually, it's going to break down. There are other things that go into it. But certainly, the, the, the corners are the focal point of the pass coverage. And I also think that's important to bring up as well, like if, if you're adding in kind of context there. KU was so bad against the run you're just going to, in general, have to sell out more against the run. Like You might have to put an extra safety in the box, and then boom, all of a sudden, you don't have help on the outside or up top, and your job just gets so much more difficult as a corner. So, if you have improved the linebacking, if you have improved the the run defense, that's going to help the pass defense on its own because you're going to be able to devote more numbers into the passing game instead of it being third and five, where you don't know if they're going to pass or run, maybe you have more third and eights where you do feel like it is going to be more of a pass and you're able to bring more of a pass heavy formation into the game, right? Like all those things do add up here. Um, so that's kind of the interesting part of this. You didn't have that total overhaul here, but you also have the flip side of there were other conditions around you that didn't make it easy For the current corners in place for KU. They did have young players. There's no reason not to expect them to show a ton of improvement. And and maybe this is the position that has the most improvement. Because it was freshmen playing at the position. But at the same point in time. You were last in all those categories last year. So even if you do have marked improvement from last year to this year. Is the base so far below where everyone else is. That even improvement isn't going to catch you quite up all the way. That is the issue here. But I do like some of the talent in this room. This is Rock Shock Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. David Lesky going to talk Royals with us and trade deadline in about 15 minutes. We'll be back after this timeout. (laughs) Did you know that on our website, KLWN.com, as well as our sister stations, 105.9kissfm.com, bull929.com, we have a program called Hometown Deals. So you click the tab. And it takes you to a magical place where gift cards are 50% off. We have handfuls of different restaurants and places that you can go to that you can get a 50% off gift card too. So just go to the website, click hometown deals, and you'll see some of those gift cards for 50% off. If you're a business and interested in being part of this as well and getting featured ads at no cash price and just gift card cost, shoot us an email, djohnson at gpmnow.com. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. The stove is on fire. Trades just coming abound. Uh, The Royals made a a trade earlier today for just like a a minor leaguer, but who knows? uh, Maybe he'll end up coming up to the majors. Obviously, last week, Andrew Benintendi was traded, though, and that's a trade that we haven't had a chance to talk about with David Lesky yet, because I think it happened either later that Monday or Tuesday. I don't know. All the days run together. I'm, I'm terrible with that stuff. Uh, Nonetheless, David, first things first, with all these trades that have come down, you know, kind of in between whether it was the Andrew Benintendi trade or the Luis Castillo one where the Mariners gave up a ton to get him, the trades that just came down, I don't, I don't know how much you've, you've had a chance to kind of dig into those. I haven't seen what the Astros gave up for Trey Mancini or it looks like the... Yankees are giving up Waldachuk and another top 10 of their prospects, and JP Sears for and someone else for Montas. And uh, Lou Trevino has really struggled in the bullpen. I guess, what do you kind of make of, of all these deals that have had Like, is there, is there a common theme or, or anything you're sensing in terms of the pulse on the trade market and the value of what these players are of rentals or players who are under control for more years? Like, do you have any sense about where this is going, or is this all just madness?
1: Well, it's a little bit of madness right now. Um, I, I think one thing that maybe, at least I and, and I think you we know, we talked about it. So I think you're probably in the same boat. Maybe underestimated the lack of rental value. Um, we're, we'll see in a minute. Um, I haven't seen the I haven't seen the Mancini result return either yet. But like Luis Castillo, that's the top three prospects for the Mariners, or depending on where you look, three of the top five. Um, <laughs> that's a huge return. I mean, I know Luis Castillo is a legitimate difference maker, a top-of-the-rotation guy. Um, you get him you get him for more than a season, or more than just the rest of this season, you get him all next year, too. Um, so that, that's huge. But at the same time, um, you know, Andrew Benintendi, who was a really nice piece, but I think I think brought back a solid deal for the Royals, especially when you compare it to the deal that the Diamondbacks got for David Peralta, um, I don't know, was that Saturday maybe? Um, they got back a, a rookie league catcher who is not in the top 60 prospects on Fangraphs, at least, for the – or wasn't in for the Rays. Um, but, you know, for a rental, he, he, he didn't get back a, an A-list prospect. Um, whereas, you know, the Frankie Montas deal you see – Ken Waldochuk, who I thought might be a possibility for Benintendi. (laughs) And and obviously, maybe he was if it was just a a one-for-one deal, but the Royals didn't want that. So I think we're seeing the rental market show that there's not a ton of value in two months. Well, I shouldn't say a ton of value. There's there's a ton of value in the player. The the fact that it's two months, I don't believe, really adds much to the, the, the deal there. Um, again, we'll, we'll see what the Astros gave up for, for Mancini because that's, that's a really good fit for them there, but um, control is the name of the game. I mean, look, the Yankees also gave up um, with Neske, who I also thought might be a good piece for Ben um, for a 28-year-old reliever with like 60 career innings because he's got five years of control, and that's, and he's got elite pitches and, and all that. It's just, you know, it, the control was really appealing to them, so that's that's what I'm seeing so far. But, you know, as we get down, what is it, 20, 25 hours and 15 minutes of the deadline, that, that could that could change if teams get kind of crazy.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely think it's interesting, the Montas versus Castillo, because, yeah, like, I, I don't know. Castillo's probably a, a better than Montas, but it's not like, I don't know, it's not like overwhelming Luis Castillo is the way better pitcher than Frankie Montas. And, and as you said, like, Montas has... Uh, the year of control in 2023 with arbitration and everything it, it almost made me think that the bar was going to be set by that Castillo trade for some of these starters but I think maybe this is a, a good indication that no I think people around the industry maybe are, are going yeah that was that was probably too pricey like we're not going to let that be the bar maybe this is going to be the bar from here um, so you you mentioned the, the Benintendi trade and I don't know if there is any comparisons you can do with the Frankie Montas one, just because like you said, there are several players that you would have liked to see in return for the Royals and everything and how you can, I don't know. It's, it's just different with outfielders and pitchers, I guess. But uh, what is kind of your thoughts? We, we've had a week for you to digest this stuff on the return that the Royals got for Benintendi. And uh, what do you think they got more for, for Benintendi or the draft pick a couple weeks ago?
1: Uh, that's a good question. Um, I well, so just to start with the Ben deal, I I like it. I I didn't love it when it first came down, and then I kind of you know backed up the train a little bit. Um, and, and I thought you know maybe maybe I should readdress this. Maybe I should think think a little bit a little bit differently about this. And I went back to something that I wrote myself that said the Royals should be anticipating a prospect in like the ten to fifteen range, and the 20 to 25 range, and then maybe a third, maybe not. And then that's exactly what they got. And I'm sitting here going, well, that's, a, that's an underwhelming deal. Well, no, it, you wrote about that. <laughs> so, so I had to kind of recalibrate, listen to myself for once. Um, but I, I I liked it at the time um, because I, I think that, you know, one, between Beckway and TJ Sikama, I think one of those two, there, there's a pretty – I think there's a lot of people on either side of, of, of which one of those two is the headliner and the better end of that deal. Um, and I think that's a good thing when there's multiple people thinking that multiple players in the deal are the best player. Um, but I even saw somebody that said the, um, Champlain pitcher who I'd never heard of honestly, before this trade, he might end up being the best because he's got control and he's got a big fastball and all that. So I like the deal. And then, like I said, when, when, on the trade market, we, it's hard to evaluate the first deal. And Benintendi wasn't the first, but he was one of the first. Um, and so you really don't know until the rest of the market gets set. And like I mentioned, the Peralta deal, where the Rays picked up a left-handed left fielder who is going to be a free agent after the season. Interestingly enough, the day they acquired him, he and Ben Benintendi both had 777 OPSs. Now, Benintendi had been with the Yankees for a couple games, but still, but. They got there in a different way, but pretty similar players. Both good defenders, not great defenders. Um, both have throwing uh, throwing issues, just kind of weaker arms. All very, very similar situations and players. And Peralta brought back a, uh, a rookie ball catcher. Now the guy can hit, so it remains to be seen. But having seen the Royals deal and in the context of the Peralta deal, I thought, well, geez, that's even better. Um, so I went from really not liking it to going, yeah, this it's fine, to thinking, okay, I like this trade. Still so don't love it, because I I probably would have rather have had the quality over the quantity, and I think they chose quantity. Um but I, I think it's a good trade. I think they did a good job.
0: Who do you think gains the most in terms of opportunity in terms of playing time now that Benintendi's gone on the Royals?
1: You know that's that, that's a good question. I, I don't I don't know that anybody necessarily gains a ton of opportunity because Benintendi goes and then a day later Salvi's back, which pushes one of Melendez and uh, Prado to the outfield on a pretty much everyday basis. And so I think what it does is it it really just allowed for everyday at bats for guys who matter with Salvador Perez back. Um, I think. You know, Mike Clay Taylor is going to have to go, I think, for Kyle Isbell to really see more time, significantly more time than he was seeing already. Um, yeah. I don't, like I said, I don't, think it opens up, I don't think it opens up that much just because Salvi's return kind of closed a lot of that gap. But Salvi was going to come back whether Benintendi was moved or not. So in that way, I think it left, left open the opportunity for somebody, one of those guys who was going to have to sit every so often.
0: All right, I'm going to give you names of Royals players, and I just want you to give me a rating 1 through 10 of chances you think they're dealt. So 10 would be they they are getting traded, and if they don't, I will give you $1,000, Derek. And uh, number one is, is, no, there's no way they're getting traded. Um, so uh, the first one on this list, Whit Merrifield.
1: I, I think it's 8. I'm tempted to even say 9. Everything I've heard is that they are looking to move him. Um, you know one thing that I'm finding interesting, and the Royals tell you a lot with the when they, get, when they put their lineup out. <laughs> you always kind of know are they testing an injured player? are they waiting to see if, if somebody gets there from wherever Omaha was? you know stuff like that. And it's 350. Um, they usually have their lineup out about four hours before game time. It's three hours and 50, 20 minutes before game time, so there's no lineup. I, that's telling. Um, so I'm going with eight. I'm tempted to go with nine. I'll win Merrifield,
0: Michael A. Taylor. Uh, that's so tough.
1: I'm going to say five. I I've heard some rumors. I've seen some rumors. Um, not as much as I would have expected. I, five may even be hopeful because I think they should trade him, but I, I, I'm kind of going to ride the fence on that.
0: Hunter Dozier.
1: I think the Royals want it to be seven or eight. I think it really is two or three <laughs> because there's just not, there's just not a huge market for him. Um, you know, maybe, maybe Mancini getting traded opens some things up because they're not, Mancini is a better player. So I, I, I'm i not, I don't mean anything there, but they're not that dissimilar in what they can do and what they provide. Um, so in that way, I could see maybe there's, there's a market. So maybe four is, is a better better number. Um, I think the Royals would move him if they could. I just don't think there's a huge market right now.
0: Salvador Perez?
1: Negative uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> 43. He's not going anywhere. Okay. Uh, Brad
4: Keller?
1: <sighs> I want it to be a 10. Um, I think I think this is the time. But I, I'd probably put him in the 4-5 or five range. I, I, I think they're going to have to get overwhelmed, and I don't think they're going to but they might. They, you never know. Some team might get desperate.
0: Zach Greinke.
1: That's uh, tough, too. I, it kind of depends on what Greinke wants, um, because I think if the Royals get a decent offer and they, and they go to him and he says, I'd ra- really rather not go anywhere, then they're probably not going to do it. And, and I don't think they're going to get a huge offer for that guy. So I think it's a three, but if he says, hey, I want to go, I think that's a nine or a ten.
0: Scott Barlow.
1: Oh boy. I you see he's so tough too. The Royals are the Royals are so difficult to read, partially because this is the first trade outline with JJ Piccolo as the GM and not Dayton Moore. So we don't really, really know the, the tendencies. Um I'm gonna say six on Barlow just based on the market today for the relievers, with what Hader got, with what Efros got, um brought back, I guess. So I, I, I think it went up a little bit from this morning from a four or five to maybe a five, or six. I just don't know if they're going to do it and, I, and they need to, but I don't know if they will.
0: Last one, Josh Stamont.
1: <sighs> See, that's so tough too. I think he's around the same range as Barlow. The issue with Stamont is you get to this point and are you selling low on a guy who struggled? He's had injury issues. His velocity hasn't been there. He's under team control through 2025. And so with that, that gives you – you're not in the position with him that you're in Barlow until next season, as far as team control is concerned. So there's an argument to be made that you say, you know what, we're going to see if you can build value even higher next year. We see what relievers cost. We see what dominant relievers cost. We know what Salmon can look like when he's dominant. So maybe you wait. But – if they get the offer, obviously this year they, they should do it. And I think they, I think they're listening. So that's why I haven't been at that five six. But it's, it's there's, there's a lot of guys who are just really on the fence there.
0: Okay, so taking all those into account, and and I guess at the same point in time, just kind of forgetting about what would be most likely if the Royals shopped the entire team today. Like, what player do you think they would get the biggest return for? And, and then among like, I guess the most realistic players to get traded. What would you kind of envision that return looking like?
1: Yeah, I mean the the number one player if they move him is Bobby Witt. <laughs> if they were trading. He brings back. Gosh, I don't. I don't even know. There's a team. He he might bring back a uh, the hall that the Nationals want for Soto. Honestly, I was going to say if you and offer Bobby
0: good. Witt for Soto or Otani, just straight up. Like, do those teams take that? Um, because more years of control, obviously, at a cheaper. Yeah, that's
1: interesting, actually. That's a really interesting question. I don't think the Angels do it with Otani because of the amount of revenue he brings in. Um, so, from a business standpoint, I, don't, I still don't think that makes sense from a baseball standpoint. It probably does because he's only got the year left. Um, National might say yes. And I, I know that sounds crazy, but by the way, you got him under control for five more seasons. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's a lot of time. Um, so he's obviously the one who brings back the most, but of the likely trade pieces, I I think it's Scott Barlow. I thought that before today, I, I think that's even more so now after the reliever market this afternoon and this morning, um, you know, I, 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 I just feel like what, a reliever with two years, three, who can impact three pennant races. I guess is a better way to put that. With with two years and then the two months left, uh, with with the results he's had over the last couple of seasons, and, and he was good before that—not great, but good. Um, I think I think he brings back a pretty decent amount. You know, I, you you can make an argument for Brad Keller um, just because. Starters are always in demand, and I think Keller is a really interesting starter because with his pitch mix, I don't think a team would hesitate to put him in the bullpen in the postseason, and I think the fastball could really play up in a one- or two-inning stint. So I, I think somebody would give up something for him, but I think Barlow probably gets you the most.
0: Okay, I, I do have one non-trade-related question because I asked you this last time. Oh, I'm
1: not feeling those, sorry.
0: Oh, okay. Well. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. okay. Go well. ahead. I, I'll shoot it to some other, uh, I don't know, some other. We'll see if like an Orioles guest wants to come on and, and take no, the question. I want to I hear it. Come on. <laughs> um, <laughs> Brady Singer dominated against the Yankees last week. And and the question I had for you last week was, is Brady Singer just good now? So I'm going to ask you again, is Brady Singer good? I think he
1: might be. I'm whispering that because I'm, I'm afraid to wake the baseball guys and let them know, hey, there's a Royals pitcher doing well. But I think he might be good. I think this might be – I think he might have found it. So don't tell anybody, but I think so, yes.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, player of the week before I let you go.
1: Oh, I, I had a tough time with this. So I was thinking about it. There are really three candidates. MJ Melendez had a really nice week. Brady Singer, obviously, and Salvador Perez, who didn't have a good week. He
0: did two,
1: two good hits. <laughs> uh, two big three-run homers, the game-winning one. I want to give it to Salvi, but God, Brady Singer was so good, I think he's my answer
0: yeah which further adds to it is Brady singer good and yeah it seems like it's another going. player
1: of the week I mean come on <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah I think he might be the first player to get two of them honestly as part of the segment which that's indicative uh, I on think his own. You're right all right he is David laskey check think... out all his work he'll be uh writing about whatever trades or not trades that the Royals make over the next 20 whatever hours 23 24 I don't know uh he is David 24, 25 almost. 25 okay <laughs> Check out his work again, David. I appreciate the time as always, man.
1: Definitely, thanks, Derek.
0: All right, that's David Leskey again. Check out his work. Subscribe to his Substack at Inside the Crown. This is Rock Shock Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go here on FM 101.7 and 1320 KLWN. Case of the Mondays, followed by RCST Trivia. Coming up next in the four o'clock hour. We are brought to you by Home Field Apparel. Home Field, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, has incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives of your school to find unique logos mascots and moments the kansas collection has 14 pieces of apparel including t-shirts hoodies crewnecks and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear plus they re- look really cool and they just released well not just but after the national championship they released a national championship shirt use the code rock chalk sports talk that's rock chalk sports talk all one word and you'll get 15 15 off your first order that's right Code ROCKSHOCKSPORTSTALK, all one word, for 15% off with home field apparel on your first order. Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender?
3: I gotta get out of here. I think I'm gonna lose it.
4: Uh Uh-oh. Sounds
2: like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. (laughs)
0: Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was, right now, on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're freaking me out, man. I got a massive headache. Okay, let's just calm
2: down. How am supposed to calm down. Look around you.
0: With Derek Johnson.
2: When you come
3: in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays?
4: No. No, man.
0: This is Case of the Mondays listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. And I am Derek Johnson. RCST Trivia continues on coming up in about 25 minutes, 20 minutes, I don't know, whatever, from right now. And uh, we're also going to have a chief segment, share some Andy Reid audio coming up later on in the show. Um, first up for Case of the Mondays, the NFL punishment system. Deshaun Watson officially was given his punishment, He is getting six games, which many have pointed out, you know, for very good reason. The comparison to Deshaun Watson's suspension to other players. For instance, Calvin Ridley, the Atlanta Falcons receiver, was suspended an entire season, 17 games, for when he was literally not with the team. He was away from the Falcons and put down a parlay in another state on, you know, some teams to win, um, whatever, like week nine or something like that games. And that even included him picking the Falcons to win the game, the team that he is on, but also away from at the time, he was suspended for an entire season. Deshaun Watson got six games. Vontez Berfect was suspended 12 games for targeting Martavis Bryant indefinitely for weed. Josh Gordon has been suspended over 25 games in his career for weed. Darren Waller, 16 games for substance abuse. DeAndre Hopkins just got suspended six games. DeAndre Hopkins just got suspended the same amount of games as Deshaun Watson. DeAndre Hopkins had slightly over the allowed limit of some Performance enhancing substance or drug. It's like you're allowed to have point, you know, 1% or something like that in your body. And he had it was like 0.14 or something like that. It, he got six games. Deshaun Watson, who had 25 sexual violence accusations, got six games. Now, you do understand, you know, part of this where it's The side of things where um, a lot of these things got settled and so I don't know to what extent if they're getting settled and Deshaun Watson is basically paying them off they're signing NDAs at that point are they not allowed to talk to the NFL does that impact the NFL's decision because they're not able to use certain evidence or, or certain things that are being said about all this I don't know how that all works I would just think the NFL would have want to set an example here. And let's be honest. Like, even if Deshaun Watson got two years, there's still going to be an argument to be had that, like, okay, but I, I still don't even want to see him in the NFL at all. You know what I mean? But at the very least, the idea was this is going to be a giant suspension. It should be at least a year. Maybe it's two years. Um, I don't know. Like, The fact that you only get six games something seems wrong there and like when the nfl has been the nfl has been kind of clowned on for their their poor punishment decisions and choices and why this many games and all these things to begin with they already have they just have this was kind of their opportunity to reel some of that back in and be like no see we're we're taking this very seriously he's gonna get a year suspension he's gonna get a two-year suspension Not only is he getting a six-game suspension, that being it, Deshaun Watson got a $45 million signing bonus with his giant contract that he signed once he got traded to the Cleveland Browns. He keeps all $45 million. Deshaun Watson is set to make $46 million in 2022. He keeps $45.65 million. His remaining fully guaranteed contract of $184 million keeps all $184 million. So, he doesn't lose, like, an ounce of money. And he only gets six games. And Cleveland has one of the easiest schedules in the NFL for weeks one through six. Like... It's unbelievable. This was the opportunity for the NFL. And I don't know. There's part of this, too. It's not just the NFL can give down a punishment. The NFLPA has a piece of this as well. They can accept things. They can decline certain things, right? They, they kind of negotiate there. But I'm sitting there like, why Why is the NFLPA like... I, I don't get it. I guess it's like, you know, even criminals have lawyers, right? Like, even you're appointed a lawyer in court. If I was the NFLPA, I'd be like, why, why are we, you know... Why are we defending this guy? Like, this is his this is his fault. This is his problem. He should have to deal with the consequences. I don't know. Next up in case of the Mondays is Kansas State Football in State Recruiting. Still really good, especially when you you know, if we're comparing it to Kansas. Like, let's be clear there. But they took a big hit over the weekend. Dylan Edwards, who was one of the top recruits in the state of Kansas, really good running back over at Derby High School. Unbelievable speed. I think he ran like a 4 3 5 40 or something like that. I got to see him when Free State played him and he, you know, put on a show uh, when he would get out in open field like he was gone. Nobody was catching him. He decommitted from Kansas State. And that was very much out of the blue. They had Dylan Edwards, Avery Johnson, who's a really good quarterback recruit from Mays. I guess they're like best friends. And that was the idea as a package deal. And then all of a sudden, Dylan Edwards just decommitted over the weekend. Not just decommitted, accepted uh, a commitment to uh, notre dame as well so just like completely flipping on its side there and now i saw today that he posted like a, a tweet about that he got an offer from oregon he's excited about it's like okay why why are we if you're not wanting to actually commit to the school if you're wanting to keep your options open just keep your options open just don't commit like nobody's forcing you to commit to a school right now why why are you doing that but that is a big hit for kansas state clearly they still are, are doing good cleanup in the in-state recruiting, but you're talking about one of the biggest in-state recruits that, that we've seen and in, in the th- kind of running back assembly we've seen at Kansas state at times where it looked like, okay, it was going to go to Deuce Vaughn to, you know, then go to uh, this kid, Dylan Edwards. I mean, I don't know. It's uh, it's a big hit for sure. Okay. Uh, Case of the Mondays for Miami dolphins, future salary cap over the weekend. Couple couple uh, big contracts were signed for wide receivers. DK Metcalf got a three-year, $72 million deal. Deebo Samuels got a three-year, $73 million deal to stay with the San Francisco 49ers. Tyreek Hill, if you remember, who was traded to the um, Miami Dolphins a few months ago, he got a four-year, $120 million deal. So let's just compare the, because the overall money is like $50 more for Tyreek Hill. It's over one more year. If you just compare the average annual value, and again, it's more spread out and things usually get backloaded and stuff in the NFL. But the average by year of the contract, Debo Samuel gets $24.3 million. Metcalf gets $24 million. Tyreek Hill gets $30 million. That is quite the jump from Tyreek Hill of what he gets versus DK Metcalf and Debo Samuel. And it's not even that, like, you might be sitting there going, yeah, but Tyreek Hill is the best of those three receivers. That might be true. I I definitely think he's better than DK Metcalf. The Debo Samuel argument gets interesting because Debo isn't just a really good receiver. He's also a really good running back, and he's so versatile, and they use him in so many different ways that he pretty much, like, became the offense for the 49ers last year, whereas as giant of an impact Tyreek Hill had. Like Patrick Mahomes was the offense, right? And Travis Kelsey is the offense, right? Um, nonetheless, even if you say Tyreek Hill is better than all those three, is he that much better than those three that he should be making 25% more money than what Debo Samuels is making or 125%? Um, because to me, Debo and Tyreek Hill are very comparable in the value that they bring. If you're just talking pure receiver, Tyreek Hill, but when you add in that other stuff, That makes Debo Samuel about as valuable. And also, with Debo Samuel and DK Metcalf, you're talking about guys who are younger than Tyreek Hill. We don't totally know how Tyreek Hill is is totally going to age with being a smaller receiver and and once the speed goes. Like we've seen Deshaun Watson stay in the NFL. Or not Deshaun Watson, I'm sorry. Deshaun Jackson stay in the NFL and continue to have roles on team as like a deep threat guy and still be able to burn people. But the days of Deshaun Jackson being a Pro Bowl receiver are gone, and he's pretty much just uh, kind of a one-trick pony role player. Like, is that going to happen to Tyreek Hill down the road? I, I'll i be honest, like, as, as time has gone on, you see some of these other the contracts, like Debo Samuel and DK Metcalf, which, to be clear, that's still, like, very much a lot of money, especially for receivers. But knowing that even after Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams signed those contracts and maybe thinking that was going to reset the market... And that you see these other receivers not even getting quite that much, knowing how much you would have had to pay him, uh, knowing that you got some draft picks back for him. Like, as time has gone on, I've I've gotten more and more on board with the idea of them making this trade and giving away Tyreek Hill as part of this. I I think it just makes more sense. But, you know, we're gonna look in two years from now, and if DK Metcalf and Debo Samuel are making $6 million less per year than Tyreek Hill and they're producing at the same level or a better level and you have a Miami Dolphins team that I don't really know what to expect of Tua, they might be in some salary cap hell at the receiver position when they're going to come around to having to give Jalen Waddell an extension. They're going to have Tyreek Hill under this giant contract. It's not quite to what market value was and I think it's pretty clear they probably overpaid there based on what those other guys got who are kind of comparable at the receiver position. Last up for Case of the Mondays, MLB players awaiting a new decision. You know, normally the trade deadline would have been yesterday. Um, And by the way, Brad Keller uh, just had his start scratched. Daniel Lynch is getting pulled off the IL and starting tonight. So I don't know if that's just Lynch is starting and they're going to move Keller back or maybe that's indicative of possible trade for brad keller i don't know but mlb players waiting their new trade destination a lot of teams have a day off today so i'd imagine like if you're wilson Contreras for the cubs catcher one of the best players out there who is on the trade market played yesterday with the cubs he has the off day today he's just probably sitting around all day being like you know where am i gonna go should i have even flown home with everybody last night from san francisco should i've just stayed here while i wait on my new destination it all just feels so pointless uh, the one that's gonna be really interesting and, and I wonder I don't think it's holding things up because we've seen all these other trades. As I mentioned, Luis Castillo got traded to the, the Mariners and, and the Mariners gave up a haul to get him. Like they're trying to go to the playoffs for the first time in 20 years. They want to take advantage of this. Kind of a, a special situation there, but you understand why it would happen. We had Andrew Benintendi traded last week. We have um you know the the trades that have happened today, Frankie Montas to the New York Yankees with Lou Trevino. We had the, the Astros getting Trey Mancini, right? Um, by the way, former Royal Brett Phillips was DFA'd by the Rays, who were in a three-way trade and got Jose Siri from the Astros. So there have been a bunch of trades that have happened. So it's not like this has been on back order or anything. But I think for some of the big teams, like outside of small moves, I think they're kind of you're, you're kind of waiting to see if the Juan Soto dominoes is going to fall. Because think about it. Like if you're a team like you know, the the Cardinals and you have this group of like elite prospects and you're going to need all of them to trade for Juan Soto. And you're sitting there and, and now Frankie Montas off the board, I guess the next best pitcher would be, I don't know, Carlos Rodon or Pablo Lopez or something like that. And it's going to cost you two of those five really good prospects you were going to give to the nationals to get Juan Soto to get that pitcher you can't really make the move for the pitcher because you need those guys to possibly get Juan Soto and so it's 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 an impossible game because they can't just keep waiting there becomes a certain point where they have to say okay well now I do have to make a move for someone else because I can't go through the deadline and be like well we just made no moves because we were we were gridlocked we were trying to trade for Juan Soto and it never ended up happening at some point they're going to set a deadline and change that but I do think for some of those teams like the Cardinals and the, I know the Dodgers traded for like Chris Martin but that's a you know that's a small reliever move. For some of those teams that maybe are in the market for both Juan Soto and a really big pitcher, one of these big names, I think that might be holding things up. I honestly think that Juan Soto's not going to end up getting tra- get traded. I think they're going to wait till the offseason like Is it really going to give the Nationals more if they trade him now than they would in the offseason? I feel like they'll get just as much. He's under contract for, I think, two more years after this year. Like, they'll get just as much for Juan Soto if they trade him in the offseason as if they were to trade him now. So somebody's going to have to overwhelm them. Maybe that does happen. I still feel like if it does, it'll be like the Dodgers. Like, of course it will. And that'll just be the most amazing, impossible-to-beat lineup of all time with, Mookie bats, Juan Soto, Freddie Freeman, Trey Turner, like on and on and on down the list of, of all-stars and former MVPs and everything like that. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of the one that, that's holding the pin here. We'll see what happens with the rest of Royals players. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Back to some more RCST trivia. That, after this timeout. First trivia matchup of the day and of the week. We are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Jayhawk Trophy, and Johnny's Tavern. And we have a uh, top 10 opponent in Kyle Martin. He's ranked sixth in the latest uh, RCST top 10, taking on Andrew Wymore, who was in the top 10. I think he was ranked fifth last week, suffered a tough loss. He's dropped out, but with a win this week, could maybe uh, pop his way back in. Uh, Andrew, uh, we were talking before, I guess you're the home team here. You, You mentioned you're wearing your Orange Bowl Reds. Uh, what would you think about your first performance? Have you done anything different to get ready here for week two? Uh,
3: you know, we really tried to put on blinders and uh, get past that get performance uh, as soon as it was over. And um, I wish I could say I uh, did something different in the past week, but I've been traveling all week and just home late last night, so... Um, I, I can't say that we had the greatest week of practice.
0: Okay. Well, uh, I think the same is probably going to be for Kyle here, uh, who has some, some stuff going on with, with a sick child and everything. Uh, so, Kyle, uh, do you feel underprepared as well?
4: Uh, yeah, definitely. I uh, you, know, you asked Andrew if he did anything differently. Uh, for me, my answer would be I studied less than I did uh, going into week one. Uh, probably slept less and have more distractions. So. Uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's all about what I actually might know today as opposed to red last minute. Cause there's surely nothing coming
0: in, uh, at the end here today. Okay. Well, Andrew, uh, as the home team, I, I don't know. I I've been doing this for some reason. Technically I've been having the home team do the coin toss, even though it should be the other way. But I, I guess I'll just continue with that wrong, wrong, uh, trend. That's something different about RCST trivia, I suppose. So Andrew, I'm going to give you the option here. Uh, do you want heads or tails? All right, I think it chose tails last week, and it did not work. It is tails this time, though. Um, So, (laughs) zero for two on coin tosses. There, that means Kyle, you have the option. Do you want to go first or do you want to go second? Uh,
4: I'll go second again.
0: Okay. Kyle, Andrew, both zero and one so far. Andrew, you scored six points in the first one. Kyle, you had sixteen. You're still ranked sixth. One of you is going to get off the Schneid. The other one. He's going to be chomping at the bit to do so next week. Okay, Andrew, you have the first question. Once again, a reminder, we have four quarters of play. First quarter, the easy round is worth three. Second quarter, the medium round worth six. Third quarter, the hard round worth seven. And the really hard round is worth eight. In the fourth quarter, for tied, we'll go to overtime. Andrew, the first question for you in the easy column for a first quarter field goal. This KU quarterback owns the school record for most career completions and attempts at KU. The gunslinger, Todd Reese. There you go. Todd Reese. I feel like that's got to be a common quarterback nickname, the gunslinger. But um, yeah, he he just shatters like all the the records for KU. Okay, Kyle, your first question is try to tie the score at three to three at the end of the first quarter. What jersey number did Todd Reese wear at Kansas? He was number five. In the basketball event, we've had some issues with the jersey number questions. Those have turned out to be harder than we might have thought. Yeah, I think that's how Andrew went out in the second round of uh, basketball this past year. That was the one that you got asked in basketball, though, was like designed to be a harder jersey number question. Dwight Colby. Yeah, yeah, it was Dwight Colby, that's right. Uh, <laughs> but we had, we had some people miss like what jersey number did, you know, like, I don't know, Sharon Collins wear or something and they've just been kind of tough, so I'm glad you got that one. All right, three to three the score into the second quarter of play. It's worth six points to you, Andrew. On October 9th, 2004, Kansas defeated Kansas State as what running back put the game away with a 43-yard touchdown run as part of his 156 yards from scrimmage that day?
3: That was John Randall.
0: Yes, it was. That was a uh, glorious uh, run at the end there to kind of – Secure the win. I think it was 24-21 that made it 31 or 30-21. I could be off on that, but yeah. Put the uh, nail in the coffin there. Okay, Kyle for you. The first points that Kansas scored in 2007 as part of their Orange Bowl season came in the season opener against Central Michigan on a Todd Reese touchdown pass to what tight end? Derek Fine. That is correct. Derek Fine the first touchdown, had the first points of the Orange Bowl season. All right, you guys are coasting through 9-9. Nine nine, perfect score through the first half of play. Back to you, Andrew, we go. This is worth seven. What Kansas player owns the record for most rushing yards in a season by a quarterback with 1,124 of them?
3: I'll say John Hadle.
0: It's a good guess because John Hadle was a you know multi-athlete player and, and was very fast for a quarterback and everything. The correct answer is Nolan Cromwell. Okay. He mine. Mm-hmm. He's the correct answer. 1,100, and that's, that's back in the day, too. Uh, not as many games or plays per game, everything like that. Okay, uh, this one over to you, Kyle. A converted tight end. This Jayhawk played offensive line his final year at KU and was a fourth round pick of the New York Jets in 2004. Say Joe Vaughn? Correct answer is Adrian Jones. Not sure if that name rings a bell. Adrian Jones. All right, nine to 9-9 nine the score. We go to the fourth quarter. One of you hits this, big eight points. It'll put a lot of pressure on the other, or maybe even win the game. Andrew, back to you. Who was KU's head coach from 1904 to 1910, going 52-9-4? and Bog Allen. <laughs> Not bad. He was. I think he was in the early 20s. Is when he coached uh, for the football team. The correct answer is Doc Kennedy. Maybe the best head coach in KU football history. 52, 9, and 4. Are you kidding me? All right. This is for you, Kyle. You got a chance to win it here in the fourth quarter. Who was KU's head coach from 1915 to 1917? Going 16-7 and 1. Um, say John Outlin. Mm. Correct answer is Herman Olcott. Herman Olcott with a nice little successful stint, but he wasn't there as long. I don't know if he took another job or what. All right, so we're tied. Nine to nine. We get an overtime matchup here. And uh, Andrew, uh, I, I guess you had the coin toss last time, so that means, Kyle, you get the option of the coin toss here. Do you want heads or tails? No heads. All right. It is heads. So, Kyle, you have the option. Do you want to go first in overtime or second? or the strategy comes in. I'll go second. Okay. So, Andrew, um, as part of this, you have the option to choose what category you want to answer a question out of, and then Kyle will have the option to either match it or or try to beat it, or if you miss the question, he'll just need to answer anything to get the points on the board. So, Andrew, what uh, category would you like to go in? Give me the six-pointer. All right, the medium round for you, Andrew. Name this Jayhawk receiver from 2015 to 2018 who went undrafted and has spent time with Washington and Pittsburgh in the NFL. What years? 2015 to 2018. Undrafted, he is now in the NFL, mostly spent time with Washington and recently Pittsburgh. 10 seconds. Throw something out there. Recent KU receiver. Oh, the correct answer is Steven Sims Jr. <clears throat> All right. So, Kyle, you just got to answer anything right. So, uh, what category? Do you want to try and flex on them and answer really hard? or? Yeah. Do that, Kyle. <laughs> I've, I've already missed
4: two of these today, um, so I, I would like to take the chip shot field goal okay. and see if I can get you in here. Sorry, Andrew. All
0: right, Kyle, name a conference that KU has played in prior to the Big 12. <laughs> Go with the Big 8. All right, Big <laughs> 8, Big 7, Big 6, MVIAA, <laughs> and Independent are the answers there. So, tough loss for you, and that's, that is where the, the strategy comes in. Kyle obviously won the coin toss and had the prerogative to do that. that that's what it can kind of set up. Now, if you would have answered that correctly, Kyle, I don't know, what would you have done if Andrew would have got that question right in the medium? Would you have gone for the win in the hard round, or would you have gone in the medium to match? Yeah, I, I would have gone hard.
4: Um, you know, I don't know if this makes you feel any better, Andrew, but what's funny is I picked to go second, and I knew John Randall, I knew Nolan Cromwell, and I knew Doc Kennedy, so I screwed that up and I knew I knew Steven Sims. And so if I would have gone, I don't know, in the other way, it, it would have been a little bit better on the scoreboard. But um, yeah, Adrian Jones, a good one. And uh, 15 through 17 head coach, not a
0: million years. That wasn't happening. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a
4: good set of questions today.
0: Andrew, uh, hearing the Steven Sims answer at the end, was that one where it was just kind of a, a light bulb moment after you heard the name or, or was that one that you wouldn't have got around to anyway?
3: No, I should have gotten Steve Sims, for sure. Uh, I ju- I was just g- blank on it. Yeah, but we just got to keep Wood, Derek. Um, congratulations to Kyle. Uh, well earned victory, and wish him well the rest of the way.
0: Well, and and Andrew uh, take some solace in the fact that I mean you're not out of I I don't know it might be tough to win the division at this point after starting zero and two but I still think we're going to have two and two teams in into bowl games and everything so that's in front of you but at the very least you can you can now play spoiler you can now play the underdog the chip on your shoulder and, and there is something beautiful about that that you can kind of ruin other people's seasons.
3: Yeah, you know we're not concerned with any of that. Derek, we're just concerned with ourselves. We're just gonna keep on wood, put our head down, nose with the grindstone. Kind of go back to basics here this week.
0: I love it. Always professional. I I know that Andrew has been taught up well by the uh, the in house PR firm at, at his university. Uh, Kyle, uh, so you get your first win of the season, taken down to the wire there. Uh, what do you think of your performance today? And uh, you know, are you gonna change anything up now? Because you said you you studied less this week and you got the win. So. What do you do about this moving forward
4: yeah I, I got the win but i got lucky i scored fewer points um you know I, I think if you gave uh andrew a little more time on Steven sims who knows what i do with the harder question um even cromwell right like i think he probably had that one bouncing around his head so i got i got lucky um i have to go back to the drawing board a bit because I, I know this division's gonna be tough and andrew hey if you want to hand uh Aaron a loss when you run into him, that'd be great because uh I didn't even miss a question, so maybe you can take him down for me.
0: I'll do my best. Well, guys, <laughs> I appreciate it as always, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Derek. Cal.
4: Yeah. Thanks, Aaron. Andrew.
0: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so that's the first time that happened um, where the guy who goes second got to just answer whatever they wanted. That the first guy missed the first question. That's the tough part about going first. It's like, you know, you might think about answering a hard, and that ended up being a medium, but you might think about answering a difficult question so you don't have to worry about losing. It's kind of risky, but if you miss the question, all they got to do is answer an easy, which that's, that's just a tough way to lose. It certainly is, but a good performance, exciting one. Back and forth, it it kind of went to the end there, and uh, Kyle with his first win of the season. Our next matchup is a top five showdown. Blake McFarland making his debut. He's not happy. He was number 2 last week. He dropped to number 4 in the rankings. He was on a bye. You know, not happy. I I've, I've made the comparison before that um I'm not a believer in just hey if you you win, you have to stay or or move up in the polls and that um you know, like if if you have somebody who you have two people in a class and let's say person A has a better grade in the class than person B, Person A got a 96 on the test. So he still got an A. Person B though got a 100 on the test. So both guys had an A, both uh, or or got an A on the test. And Person B was already behind Person A by overall grade, but Person B can still jump him in overall grade if that makes sense, right? Um, so that's what would go into there but I hope it leads to a chip on his shoulder and Aaron Mayer had quite the performance in the first matchup you heard Kyle talking about him didn't miss a question against Kyle he's ranked third if not for our number one versus number two matchup tomorrow college game day might be at this one but again we have the matchup tomorrow so that matchup Coming up next, we are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery with dine-in, carry-out, catering, all available. Try the Bill Self mac and cheese, the Haney turkey stack, or any of the great menu items. And don't forget about the 23rd Street Brewery beer, which you can get to go with their Crowlers. Jayhawk Trophy, engraving experts, perfect spot in Lawrence to go and get your trophy for whatever reason. And Johnny's Tavern with 12 locations from Topeka to Blue Springs and uh, Johnny's Tavern. A great spot to hang out and feel like you're a member of the uh, the crew over at Johnny's. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, Depend on it. What a matchup this should be. We got top five matchup here on the Monday division. The third ranked team in the country, Aaron Mayer, uh, moved up. I, I think you were sixth or something last week. Perfect 24 points on the questions a week ago. You get the win over Kyle Martin. You move all the way up to number three. Blake, you were sitting at number two in the original preseason poll. You're now number four without playing a game. Uh, Controversy. Does this give you an extra chip on your shoulder, Blake? I mean, of course, right?
2: You know, I, I am very honored to start off preseason number two, but I'd rather stay there. And, you know, it's unfortunate that you didn't schedule me week one and immediately dropped me, so... Well, something we talk about with the playoff committee, but uh, we're, on to, we're on to next week. We're on to uh, uh, our nice matchup with Aaron here.
0: We wanted to create some controversy with the polls, and uh, I think we've done a little bit of it. Well, Aaron, like I said, you moved up all the way to number three. Do you almost feel like you should be higher? Uh, I mean, you, you went perfect 24 for, for 24 on, on the points and everything. Uh, do you have a case to be number one? Uh, not yet. I'd Maybe number two because I think the number two ranked person didn't play last week either so may, maybe number two if anything but we'll see we'll see how today goes all right well uh blake obviously you were on bye week last week so uh you know we heard stories from, from other people and everything how would you classify your ku fandom like when does it go back favorite player those kind of things
2: yeah you know i've been going to the KU football games um as long as i can remember lived out in southwest kansas drew drove six hours uh to go to games a lot of the times uh currently a season ticket Holder, Um, so I think I'm really excited. I watch all the games. Uh, I'd say my favorite player. I mean, how can you not go with Todd Reising, right? I mean, that was right around the time when I was playing middle school football. I wanted to be like Todd. It didn't quite work out that way, Um, but he was electric. He was probably the best overall football player I've seen in my lifetime, with some other players close. And hopefully, uh, that he's he's not the uh, the pinnacle of my KU football player player fandom. And and hopefully this year the the guys on the team can bring some excitement.
0: There you go. All right. Well, Aaron, um, you were on the road last week, so I'm going to call this your home opener. Not that it really matters. It's all up to Chance anyway. Uh, So I have the coin. Aaron, I'm going to leave it up to you. Do you want heads or tails? Tails. Okay. It is tails. So you won the toss. Uh, Do you want to go first or do you want to go second? I'll go first. Okay. So Aaron's up first. Blake is up second. We'll start in the first quarter. These were three points into the easy round of questions. Aaron, who was KU's head coach from 2002 to 2009, going 50 and 48? Mark Mangino. Yep. Mangino, one of the, I don't know, better coaches in KU football history. Certainly didn't end in a super fun way, Um, and that leads to your question, Blake. Taking over for Mark Mangino for two seasons from 2010 to 2011 was what head coach? Turner Gill. Yep, that one didn't go so well. Hopefully, uh, I don't know. I think there's more there with Lance Leipold coming over from Buffalo than there was from Turner Gill. Uh, All right, so we're tied 3-3 to into the second quarter of play. Back to you, Aaron, we go. This one is worth six points. Aaron, name this KU quarterback who finished seventh in the 1961 Heisman voting. 1961? Yes. John Hadle? That is correct. John Hadle finished seventh in 1961 in the Heisman voting. Unfortunately, he didn't get an invite to New York finishing seventh, but still got in the top 10 list there, which was pretty cool. Okay, Blake, for you, name this KU quarterback who also finished seventh, this time in the 1968 Heisman voting.
2: Uh, Was it David James?
0: It's a good guess. The correct Mm. answer, though, is the third and final other KU player who has an appearance on uh, that Heisman voting it is Bobby Douglas Bobby Douglas finished uh, 7th in 1968 okay so Aaron you currently lead 9-3 to still time to make it up Blake Uh, we'll head into the hard round of questions these are worth 7 Aaron for you what Kansas player owns the record for most career receptions by a tight end with 98 of them and was drafted in 2008 Derek Fine. That is correct. Derek Fine is the correct answer there. So you get a 7. You're up to 16 points. Back to you Blake. You gotta hit this for a chance to uh, still come from behind and win. This Jayhawk defensive end totaled 15 sacks at KU and was a 5th round pick in the 2005 NFL Draft to the Cleveland Browns.
2: Charlton Keith?
0: Another good guess, um, because that's a name that's definitely going to come up later here in trivia. It is David McMillan. David McMillan with 15 career sacks, fifth-round pick of the Cleveland Browns. Okay, so that secures your win, Aaron. But everything's still in front of you, Blake. Um, We've mentioned this before to other people who have lost. Obviously, this is a round robin, not single elimination. You win your next three games, you know, you're probably still going to be fine and everything. At the very least, you can go to a bowl game. But the points do matter here. The points are the tiebreakers. So still getting this really hard question is of importance. Uh, but, Aaron, um, you have it wrapped up, so this is a chance for you to even go further ahead in the points and stay undefeated on the points. So, Aaron, um, this one for you. Who was the analyst that got promoted to the KU staff while the Jayhawks sought out Les Miles' replacement? Not as the head coach, but promoted to the staff.
4: Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I know who this is, but I'm struggling to think of it.
0: Ten seconds. Correct answer is Travis Partridge. That's a tough one. That was a user-submitted question by uh, Scott Chasen. I think Aaron even is frozen here. So, um, I don't know. I don't know. I think Aaron's gone. All right. Well, Blake, I'm going to continue out with your question uh, while we try to get Aaron back. Blake, this for you to kind of add some points. Before Emmett Jones was announced as KU's interim head coach and after Les Miles was fired, who was Jeff Long's first pick? as interim head coach
2: oh my god it's it's that uh i could like describe everything about him but i could not tell you his name he was the like he was going to come in as the oc from michigan um older guy i i honestly have no idea but i can like yeah he was from michigan he was like with less i think he was maybe like they were like offensive like analyst or something but i cannot think of his name so
0: i'll, I'll take the l on that all
2: right. Well, you had everything
0: right there. His name is Mike DeBoard. And oh, my uh
2: gosh, yes. Now <laughs> you say it, I know exactly who you're talking about. I just I froze on that.
0: Yeah, those are uh user submitted questions by one Scott Chasen. So you can thank him never for Never
2: even never even coached a game. Tough one, know,
0: there, Derek. Right. Hey, but he uh I don't even know who Travis Partridge is either. So those were tough ones. I think he Scott. ended up
2: on he ended up on the Chiefs in this next year. Uh, that was Partridge? Yeah. Um no, and I'm just going to say this right now. You can either play us on air or cut it. Uh, I mean, really, man, the Derek Fine question, noticeably easier than the David McMillan question in the third quarter.
0: All right. And, Extra controversy. And, I
2: mean, I mean the Heisman voting on the quarterbacks, I mean, that's tough. But I would rather, like, I could have guessed all three. I don't know if I could guess what the years they played.
0: Well, that's, uh, I don't know. You could also argue yours was easier on that one because he eliminated John Hadle for you. So, a major. I know but you got one or
2: two of them, but the Derek Fine question, I was teed up and ready to get on Mm the 05 team, although good, and won the Tex or the Fort Worth Bowl. I don't think I could have uh, named the 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 other DN other than Charlton Keith.
0: We got extra controversy. Aaron is back now. Kind of perfect timing here. Aaron, uh, we gave you the wrong answer there. It didn't matter. You ended up winning the matchup, but um, did you end up circling around to it? Did you end up figuring out who it was? Who wasn't? (laughs) It was Travis Partridge.
1: Maybe
0: I didn't know <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've never heard of that name uh, even after this. Uh, but, yeah, so thank you guys for uh, the fun matchup. Blake, obviously, I, I think you're going to have the extra chips on your shoulder after this one. Um, we'll see. Are the pollsters going to punish you even more? Maybe you'll go the other way. Maybe you'll go the other way where you'll actually move up this week. Aaron, uh, you missed your first question, unfortunately, but 40 points through two matchups. That'll play. Good work, guys. hmm so more controversy yeah i i think blake does have a case that the Derek fine one could have uh could have certainly been easier there also though like i go back to you know in the idea of trivia if you know it it is inherently easier than if you don't know it but yeah you could definitely say Derek fine is a more, more uh notable name than than david mcmillan is so um I don't know. I, I'd be interested in what most people would say on that. But, yeah, he probably did have a little bit of a case, though. I, I will say, though, um, I guess I don't know. If you switch the questions, does that change the outcome of the game? Does all of a sudden Blake win 10-9? to 9? That's uh, something we'll never know. So, I don't know. I'll, I'll take user error there if that is maybe more uh, incongruent to the next one. But it's also guys who were three years apart. Both were drafted in, like, the fifth round or something like that that uh, you just have one that was a more memorable season with the Orange Bowl. So I, I get part of it, um, but like I said, sometimes trivia is unfair, user error, I don't know, all those things. I do feel a little bad for Blake there. But uh, Aaron ends up winning in the end 16-3, to the final score for Aaron over Blake. This is RCST Trivia. We are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Jayhawk Trophy, Johnny's Tavern as well. Here on RCST Trivia. Two more fun matchups today. We'll have two more tomorrow. Including a matchup between the number one and number two teams. In our RCST Trivia Top 10. That upcoming. This is Rock Shock Sports Talk. On FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. One hour down. Two to go. We'll be back after this.